Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. I'm home caught, it's dead in trial. Why ain't I see you round back when I was down? I'm home caught, it's dead in trial. Why ain't I see you round back when I was down? They ain't believing me in the beginning. Who wanna hang around now they see me winning? I'm home caught, it's dead in trial. Why ain't I see you round back when I was down? Yo, what's up, world? It's your boy, Big Court, from the Holding Court Podcast. And of course, today's episode is sponsored by Uncle P's Southern Style Fish Fry. Man, look, every time I go to New Orleans, this is that's what it's about. It's about culture. It's about spice. It's about having that authentic flavor. So, you know, this really encompasses that New Orleans-style fish fry and that culture down there. So it's available in all grocery stores, so you want to taste the New Orleans, you want to taste the grandma's home cooking, yeah, Uncle Pete Southern Style Fish. What's good? Welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. It's your boy, Big Court, and producer Ken. What's good with you, man? Oh, man. Doing good. How you doing? Yeah, man. I'm good, man. We back. We here in this fresh set. You know what I'm saying? Those that's paying attention that watch us all the time, y'all see we got a cool little, you know, we did a little overhauling, you know what I mean? A little remodeling. Yeah, new set. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got the we in the we in the dungeon. We in, in the, the dungeon or the whole court dungeon, you know what I'm saying? But um today, man, we got a very special guest. You know what I mean? This brother has a hell of a testimony, hell of a story. Um, we're gonna dive into it. Um, you know what I'm saying? He's my my no limit brethren. Um, I didn't get a chance to know him in the back in the day in the heyday, but we here now, you know what I'm saying? The 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 one and only <laughs> Mac, Uh-oh. you know what I'm saying? But Gilly Fibbs Jr., Mac, the camouflage assassin. What's good with you, brother? I'm cooling, man. I'm cool. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah, right. man. I, what, what's the who's that in the background, bro? <laughs> uh oh, I gotta go. This is one of this, one of the black cats. I actually got two black cats. This one we named Big Frida. Oh, oh, got, Big Frida. Shout out to Big yeah, Frida. That's, that's Frida. We got another one that we call Strange because she's just strange. She's quiet. She don't like. Uh, she don't socialize. She just hides. What What made you name that black cat Big Frida? <laughs> well, actually, my wife and them named it that before I came home. Yeah, <laughs> is that? Yeah, it, she, it, they said they said she got a big personality, so they call her Big Frida. Okay. And you see how she jumped? You see how she yeah. jumped up on his chair? She now, just imagine this. <laughs> I've been in the bathroom trying to take care of business. And she done jumped on my shoulders. Damn. She want to get her yeah. camera time. She like, shit, I'm <laughs> yeah. in this bitch. <laughs> well, man, welcome home, soldier, man. You know, uh, you know, uh, I want to start from the beginning of the, I mean, even before, you know, the lyrical midget, you know what I'm saying? Mac M- M- McKinley Phipps as junior, 
as a as right. a youngster, man. So you born and raised in New Orleans. Yeah, um, I, I was pretty much uh, born and raised uptown. We, you know, I, we moved all over the city when I was a kid. So we, I got a chance to live in like a lot of different neighborhoods. But I always, you know, always came back uptown. That was kind of where we, the center of operations for our family, where we always, wherever we went, we always gravitated back uptown. So that's where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. You were only child? <laughs> No, I am actually the eldest of six. I'm oh, the wow. oldest child. And uh, my parents been married now for 45 years. Damn. And I'm the oldest. Oh, that's a blessing. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm junior. I'm my dad's son. Yeah, yeah. Know? That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Did you grow up in the church? Well, kind of, sort of. You know, mm-hmm. growing up, I think I think most uh, most black families in this country, you know, we, we spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in the church as kids. Uh, my mom used to take me to church on Sundays and Oddly enough, when I was a kid, I really didn't understand church too much, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a place that, you know, as a kid, man, I was like, it's boring, I'm ready to go, I wanted to go outside and play. Yeah. So what, what my dad and mom kind of did was alternated taking us to church, and my dad would take me fishing like every other week, so we always had mm-hmm. something going on. So you grew up with a strong family unit? Uh, pretty much. Pretty much, you know, okay. we, we uh, my parents, we didn't have a lot, but we had love. You know, right. we had a, you know, our parents were always there for us and uh, they always encouraged us and everything mm-hmm. that we did. Oh, you know, me and my brothers and sisters. And, you know, we was kind of I don't like to loosely use the word poor because mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of people um, misuse that word. You know, they, they think that, you know, because we didn't have name brand shoes we were poor. No, there's people in other places that don't have shoes, that don't have water. Right, so, right. you know, we were, I would say, less fortunate. Yeah. But uh, we had love. Yeah. Well, poor is a state of mind, too. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You know, so that is kind of a difference. Um. So what, what I'm curious, what did Mac want to be as a kid? You know what I'm saying? Like, what were your dreams when you were younger? I think the first thing I... I said I wanted to be. I remember my teachers asking me when I was uh, one of my earliest memories. I think I was either in kindergarten or first grade when the teacher said, what did you want to be when you grow up? And I said I wanted to be like Mr. Ricks at the time, which mm-hmm. was our principal. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be the, the I guess that was just my way of, as a kid acknowledging I wanted to be the person in charge because mm-hmm. over the school it was Mr. Ricks. So mm-hmm. I think around seven years old is when I decided I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a musician, like seven or eight years old. Oh, I mean, well, I started okay. writing songs at seven, but I think I was around eight or nine when I determined in my head, like, mm-hmm. no, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Damn. So so what did you, what was it that you heard that influenced you? Was it the introduction into hip hop or was it, because I know you draw, right? You're an artist as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we kind of share in that because I always say that uh, I was I could draw really well and write poetry right. when I was younger. And it seems to be a natural transition from to that written expression right. from being an artist. Because it's all yeah. art. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So what what like what music or what artists influenced you early on? Uh, and, and I think I've said mm-hmm. this um and, I, and I'll, I'll say it again because it's, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started with New Edition. Okay. <laughs> I was I was literally, you know, for those of the viewers that are old enough to know who New Edition is, for sure. uh, I was sitting down um, watching Cool It Now video by yeah. New Edition. Yeah. I'll never forget it, man. It yeah. was like it's like deja vu. When they got to the end of the song and he was like, Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mac. And I was like, now, I don't know how to sing, 
But whatever that was he just was doing, I can do that. So yeah. I went, you know, I got my friend out of the neighborhood. We got together that day and we wrote a song for the first time. And um, I still kind of, I'm going to just say this. I still remember the first song I wrote. When I was <laughs> so so Mac, was it an R&B song or a rap song? No, it was a rap song. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's the, what, yeah, you remember the first, the first eight bars? Unfortunately, I do. You do? You <laughs> yeah. don't want to spit it? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, nah, I know it was something to the effect of like, because my rap name at the time was, I called myself Zodiac. Okay. Zodiac came from, uh, they had some sneakers that were out at that time, and I just thought yeah. they looked good. I was a kid. So, you know, you're looking for something to call yourself. So I called myself Zodiac. And I think the first couple bars was something like, Zodiac is my name, girls is my style. I'm smooth as the wind. I'm slick as the foul. You know, all that kind of stuff. This was like, it. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like almost about, like some Big Daddy Kane cadence. Yeah, you're talking about 84. <laughs> yeah. Like, this was like 84, 85, and that was the style back then. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Then. I mean, we about the same age. I think I'm a year older than you. You 77, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm 76. So before hip-hop, we really like think about it. We had Culture Club, you know, what I'm saying George mm-hmm. Michael and and right. and Duran Duran and all that shit. Right. You know? So, but for you to write that rap, which it seemed like it was advanced, you know what I'm saying? Had you heard Run DMC and Fat Boys and all that? Were you already exposed to that? Yeah, you know, I was hearing um, at the time. I think in the eighties, I remember groups like my uncle, my uncle Shedrick, um, who is who. You know, we just buried a couple months ago. Uh, rest in peace, my uncle Bean. Condolences. He was probably the earliest influence on hip hop that I had because my uncle Bean was really into the hip hop culture, and he was a fan of like Mantronics, um, mm-hmm. Tila Rock back then, the, the 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 Gucci crew, and just all of the people he used to listen to. I would be in the car with him and his friends, mm-hmm. and I remember just hearing all of those voices, whether it was Run DMC, whether it was. Um, you name it, just ice. Um. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. You know, just I'm talking about early '80s mm-hmm. when you had groups that were uh, the Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah, yeah. And he used to listen to this stuff, and I would always be in the car with him, just mm-hmm. listening. And I think by the time I started writing raps, I mean, my head was so full. I had already memorized all them other mm-hmm. songs. So it was kind of like what I was doing was was almost just like biting their flavor. Yeah. But using my own words. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's how it starts. When I first started as a rapper, same thing. It, everything I did was in the cadence of Easy e It wasn't nothing but Easy e just with my words. Right. So that's because what, that's what you heard. That's what I heard. You know what I mean? That's how we find right. ourselves. Um. So you started hella young. Damn, that's crazy. So at what point did you start doing talent shows and shit like that? Yeah. Like, so I started joining the um, the, the little programs that were going on at the school, mm-hmm. and at, in elementary school. And what's weird is I won, uh, we had this thing at, in elementary called Putting on the Hits, right? And we had to basically, you do another person's song. Like we did mm-hmm. familiar songs that were uh, for people. And I re- I recall winning the talent show by doing a song by Heavy D called Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah. It was me, and yeah. I had three girls dancing for me. <laughs> and I was like the skinniest kid in the school doing a Heavy D song. Yeah. And the name of it was Mr. Big Stuff, yeah. and I won. Yeah. So you did your own rap to that beat, or you just redid his song? 
No, redid his. We did the dance. Oh, stuff, okay. You know, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we did everything. So, you know, at that time, that was like, like you know, a big thing at the school. Yeah. So I won that. And ironically, the last in the in the finals were um, I was I was part of like the two performances that were the finalists. Mm-hmm. So I was going to win either way because mm-hmm. I had the the thing with the girls. I was doing heavy D, and me and two other guys did uh a song called Two, Two Occasions by a group called The Deal. Yeah, I remember The Deal, Babyface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that's pretty much how okay. it was. Okay, okay. Did y'all have the influence of uh, of uh, Bounce? Had that been a thing in New Orleans at that time? No. Okay. No, Bounce came about in, well, Bounce technically came about in 1992. Okay. And, um, you know, what's credited, I should say, what's... what's um, was credited with being the origin of Bounce was a song called Where They At by T.T. Tucker. Okay. But, and 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 credit is definitely due to that song. Uh-huh. But I will say that the precursor, I think that's the word I want yeah. to Yeah, yeah. Uh, to Bounce mm-hmm. was a song called Bug Jump Time by a group then known as Gregory D and DJ Manny Fresh. Ah, wow. You talking about the Manny Fresh, the producer? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, where, where did Trigger Man come in? Man, what's weird is I remember hearing Trigger Man as man as early as like it was like the earlier mid eighties when mm-hmm. I first heard the song Trigger Man, and mm-hmm. it was real popular mm-hmm. in New Orleans. So popular to the point that a lot of New Orleanians really thought that the creators of Trigger Man were from New Orleans, and these guys were actually from New York. Really. That's news yeah. to me. I just learned that. I thought there yeah. was New Orleans I mean, niggas. In the song, they say the story starts <laughs> in Notorious Queens. Damn. I, mean, so I thought that was a New Orleans group with a uh, nah, New Orleans record. That was, uh, the show, <laughs> that was actually the Showboys is the name of the group. Ah. And the, the name of the song is actually not Trigger Man. The uh-huh. name of the song is actually Drag Rap. Drag Rap. That's the name right. of the song. Yes. That's the Drag name of the rap. song. Drag but rap. Trigger Man became, you know, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. we kind of, Whatever sticks out the most, that's what we're gonna call the song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, so you being a kid and and knowing that you want to rap, did you get into trouble as a kid? I mean, I probably as a Trump and like trouble, 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 like like were you the type to like getting suspended and and like you know going to juvie shit no. like that, like criminal no. shit? Okay, no, no. See, see, the way this worked out with my parents was like, mm-hmm. yo. They were like, they told the producers at the time that mm-hmm. I was under contract with, because I begged my parents to sign this contract. I was mm-hmm. like 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I signed the contract, I was maybe 11, mm-hmm. 11 or 12 when I signed the contract and I begged my parents. And they had one condition. Hey, you, stop. So that one condition was uh, my cat is scratching at you. Mm-hmm. I told you about them cats, Mac. I don't fuck with <laughs> I told you about it. Who that, so Frida? That's had, Frida fucking up? Yeah, that's, that's big Frida. She tripping. <laughs> So uh, she having her moment right now. But one of the uh, conditions they had was they said, if your mm-hmm. grades go down, mm-hmm. this contract is basically null and void. And they let my producers know if it's if he if he starts slacking in his schoolwork, this is over with. Wow. So because so I had straight A's as, mm-hmm. a, uh, as a as a student in school when I was a kid, because I really wanted to make sure, you know, that was my payment to my parents for mm-hmm. allowing me to do, mm-hmm. you know, what I wanted to do. Damn. So your first record deal, you say you were how old? Twelve. Twelve. Damn. Well, the album came out uh, right between seventh and eighth grade mm-hmm. the, uh, that summer. I think the record came out. So it was like 89, 90-ish. 
But I signed a contract when I was around 11. Damn. So this was, was this with a local uh, label in New Orleans? Well, it, it was with a label that was um, from Texas, actually, mm-hmm. Dallas, Texas. It was uh, called Yo Records. Okay. And um, my label mates at the time were, of course, Gregory D. and Manny Fresh, who were my producers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy named Ron C., I remember, from um, back in the days. He was on the label. Oh, you talking Him about and- uh, Ron C., uh, trendsetter Ron yeah. C.? Yeah, 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 he was on the label as yeah, well. Yeah. And um, a group called Nemesis. These yeah, guys Nemesis. They did a lot of things. Yeah. music. They yeah. were on the group. They were on the label as well. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know uh, Ron C. He's coming to the show, but I grew up on Ron C. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was he was on your records too. Ah. And I, I never met him. I just knew we were all label mates. Okay, I thought, so at some point, Ron C. went from yo to profile, because I know he was on profile as well. Right. Yeah. Right, probably so. Because I think <clears throat> profile was, was more of a distributor or- okay. I think they were a bigger label. Yo yeah. Records was kind of an independent Texas. Uh, okay. It was a Dallas, Texas label. Okay. How did they get wind of you? At, I mean, you 11 years old. You, you was making noise in New Orleans like that? Well, lucky for me, um, my uncle was real cool with this uh, rapper named Sporty T in uh, New Orleans. And Sporty T is another guy. Rest in peace. Um, he's dead. And he was the first person who I would say I emulated my style after. Cause this was my uncle's best friend and he rapped with a guy named Gregory D. They put out the first record in new Orleans, uh, called where well, they put out the first rap record to be on the radio in new Orleans. It was called, we destroyed like in 86, it came out and, um, they, they called themselves the Ninja crew. Well, when they, when they, um, split sporty went one way, Greg went another way and Greg found a DJ from the seven wall named Manny fresh. So they started a production company called Two Hype Producers. And because Greg was friends with my uncle, he had um, saw me at a couple of talent shows and I, I came to his house and rap for him before. And he told me straight up, he looked me in my eyes and was like, look, Lil Mac, if I ever get on, I'm going I'm to come get you. I got you. And, you know, I'm a kid, so I'm just thinking he's just talking. Mm-hmm. But when he got, you know, in position, he pulled me in. Wow. Okay. And so that's where you came up with, uh, what was it? The lyrical midget. Yeah, yeah. Which was basically my way of saying I'm the youngest dude in the industry yeah. at the time and I'm here. Okay. Was your name Mac at that point? You had become Yeah, Mac. it was Lil Mac. Lil they Mac. Called me, yeah. They've been calling me Lil Mac since I was born. My okay. dad was Big Mac. Okay. So, okay. And so how many, how many records did you put out with, uh, your records? One. I just put one album out. Okay. I, I would say it was like uh twelve songs. How did that record do? Uh, it did okay regionally or locally. As you know, it's at at the time I just believed that the the company didn't have the. I don't think they had the experience to. They didn't really know what to do with a child rapper because right. that was pretty much unheard of. Right at that time, because. Let me see if this was probably what, 90, 91. So at that was, point, what was it? No, this was 89. 89. Okay. Yeah, so, so this is like young, uh, what's his name? Wasn't even out yet. Uh, Special Ed wasn't even out okay. yet. Okay. Because I remember uh, Rap A Lot had two, two low. And that was yeah. probably, that was okay. probably 90, 91. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was like, it was, I guess it was something new. And I don't think they really just had, they were trying to market me as a Fresh Prince type rapper, mm, right? Okay. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm looking back, 
I probably should have just rolled with that gimmick because <laughs> I, it probably would have kicked in the dough for me because yeah. uh yeah you know they were they were trying to I guess you know they're adults and they're they're sitting there trying to figure out how to market this yeah. kid right so they're like well we can do the parents just don't understand type mm-hmm. of thing and mm-hmm. you know whereas with me I was kind of reluctant mm-hmm. because. I grew up, I was a Rakim fanatic, so mm-hmm. I wanted to battle rap. I just mm-hmm. wanted to follow the leader of everybody. I just wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. and they were trying to give me this gimmick that probably would have worked had I been open to accept it, but right. I just was fighting against it. Right. I mean, you had to be yourself, too, you know. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. What I mean, so right. Um, and so once you release that record, then what happens after that? I mean, you just you just go to school because there's a gap between. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. once you did that record and you ended up in No Limit, there's a several year gap. So what what was what were you doing in in between that time? Well, that was only the first Mm -hmm. contract I signed. I probably signed two other contracts before I got with No Limit. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I always was busy, you know, doing stuff. So uh-huh. I, I, I dealt with them. And once I left them, I um, formed a group with uh, me, my cousin Wiz, and my DJ Wop, who is mm-hmm. Manny's, uh, one of Manny Fresh's closest friends. We, um, we formed a group called Three Flavors. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to put something out, I think, around 92-ish, 91, mm-hmm. 92, mm-hmm. kind of fell through. So then I met this young lady named Storm, and um, we formed a group, Mac and Storm, and we put out a record in New Orleans called Mad or Jealous in like 95, I want to say 94, 95. And I think it was around that time that I started meeting people who would eventually be part of my No Limit, you know, stint. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I think around 95, 96 is when my cousin started telling me that uh and my cousin is is also deceased he he was a no limit um artist his name was uh his name is Skanu, but he rapped with a group called the prime suspect yeah i remember Skanu. yeah rest in peace so, yeah so Skanu started telling me around 96 mm-hmm. he was like cuz man you got to come get with no limit mm-hmm. and i was just like at the time i didn't know that it, what was weird was I didn't know that Master P was from New Orleans at the time. Right. I thought this was a guy from the West Coast. Right. And um, right. and was crazy. So he was like, man, you got to get with him, bro. You know, this, that, and the other. And initially, I was kind of reluctant because I was like, man, you know, my style is kind of different from mm-hmm. what they're doing, you know. And um, I thought about something, man. You know, I, I had a, I had a, I ain't going to say an epiphany, mm-hmm. but what I thought about was I was like, well, yo, this may be, the perfect opportunity because I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb in reference to everything else they're doing. So mm-hmm. I was like, yo, this might be a good, a good look. So, um, yeah. So I went over there, I gave it a shot and mm-hmm. eventually everything worked, you know, worked out. So I want to drag it back a little bit. So, um, so uh, initially you started out, you were very lyrical, right? What, what, what was some right. of your, your um, early work? Like what was your subject matter? Were you, 
Were you, because I mean, we grew up in the crack era and I know right. it hit New Orleans like it hit everywhere else. And even in New right. Orleans, y'all had a heroin epidemic. So right. you growing up around the, the violence, even though you have this strong uh, family unit, but you still got to go outside. You know what I'm saying? So right. you're still exposed to the elements. At what point right. does that start creeping into your music and you start incorporating, okay, I'm on some lyrical shit, but damn, it's this other shit happening too. Right. I think... <clears throat> Around, I think when I started um, even speaking about the stuff that was around me, because I was kind of a different kid. Like, mm -hmm. I actually hated the crack game. I never sold drugs. I, I hated it because I saw what it did to my family. I saw what it did to, like, my friends and, and different people in the neighborhood. So I was actually one of the rappers in the early 90s that refused to even talk about that in my music because mm -hmm. I just felt like I saw it every day. It was something that I didn't want to be reminded of, mm -hmm. if that made sense. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I didn't, I, I was, I used to buck against it. So I, I think just as a, as a, um, as my defense mechanism against it, I used to listen to groups like Tribe Called Quest, that I sold, um, Leaders of the New School. These were the artists that I kind of grew up, you know, really, really uh, soaking in their vibe. Rakim, who I credit for being my first professor, because Rakim was able to was able to get me to do something my teachers couldn't. And that was to actually go in the encyclopedia and read, because in order to understand some of the stuff he was saying in songs, I, I had to go find out what this stuff was because he was talking about stuff that was in my little teenage mind over my head. And I don't like nothing being over my head. So I went to reading and in reading it opened my mind up to man so much more. And I, I think the natural progression was I started listening to more, um, more educated MCs or what appeared to be more educated because truth be told, a lot of the rappers that were spitting some of the more gangster lyrics were also educated. Right. A lot of people just didn't know that. Exactly. You know, and they were doing exactly. what they were doing to sell records. Right. Whereas for me at that time, I was more of like, man, I didn't really care about the money at that time as much. You know, it was about me being true to myself and trying to uplift the people. But as I've mentioned, then the stomach and the brain had an argument. And we all know <laughs> when the brain and the stomach have an argument, the stomach is nine times out of 10 going to win, man. That appetite is strong. You had to get to when it. When you get hungry. <laughs> All your common sense go out the window when you get hungry. So, so that time came and, you know. So let me ask you. So with, with you having you and Manny Fresh obviously go back to kids. So yeah. he's already at, at Cash Money. What mm -hmm. what made you, you know, because obviously you had an inroad to Cash Money as well, as well as No right. Limit, because you had a cousin over at No Limit. What made you right. choose to go to No Limit uh, over uh, Cash Money? Hmm. I think it probably just had to do with Cash Money had their had already had their premier established artists at the time. They were, you know, when I was when I was dealing with Cash Money, I did a song on uh, BG's first album, the mm -hmm. Chopper City album, mm -hmm. and uh, I did a song with him on there, and I and I and it was dope, and I I just liked the vibe. I liked that album, you know. That was that was to me uh, who we called Jeezy at the time, you know, before Young Jeezy came out in New Orleans, we called BG Jeezy. So at that time, Jesus was uh, was was at his rawest to me, and um, I really really liked that project. And I guess I just felt that 
they had their established artists. They had BG, they had UNLV, they had um, Juvenile at the time. So when I looked at No Limit, to me, it was like a, 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 a clean canvas. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I could go here and stand out. I got you. I got you. Yeah, because at that time, you know, that's funny because we, we, you and I, <clears throat> in terms of our, our tenure at No Limit, which I'm still there, but we missed each other because uh, I right. signed. And you probably don't know because uh, we never we never met. Um, but I had signed with No Limit in 1995. Uh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm from Kansas city. And so this is when P was still out in Northern California. I was a part of, I was a part of the group called CCG. If you, you remember Down South Hustlers? Oh, I, I heard him mention that before, yeah. but I never knew that. That was I me. So you remember the uh, Down South Hustlers double CD? Right. right. And you remember the song R.I.P.? Right. That's me. I remember CCG. That's I remember me. The group. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know that was you. That was me. Yeah. yeah. And so That's I rapped weird. like third. I think I was the third verse on that song or whatever the case may be. And then I'm going to have to go back album. and check that out. Yeah. I never knew that. <laughs> I, when I heard you mention it, I'm like, yeah, damn, he must have signed after I got locked nah, up. Nah, it was before. Nah, you was there before. I me. was there before. Yeah, yeah, and so, right. um, and so you came at like '90s. You said '96. '97, I signed. '97. I start. I started affiliating and associating with him in '96. Okay, who came and got you from No Limit? Was this Canoe telling you to come to go over there, or did Boz no. or somebody came and tapped nah, you on the shoulder? It, it it was a combination of people. It was um. All right, so the first thing I did was I did a song with Cain and Abel. Right. Um, I did a song called God and Guns with Cain and Abel. And P heard it, and I came to their video shoot, and that was my first time actually meeting P. But um, it was it was, it was was weird because me signing was a combination of Cain and Abel, Fiend, Mir X, KLC. And if I'm forgetting someone, um, I apologize if y'all listening, if I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but those are the names in my head that's sticking out right now. And I know it probably was more than somebody I'm probably forgetting, but I know it was a combination of Cain and Abel, Fiend, Mia, KLC. Mm-hmm. And those were the, the and my cousin Skanu, of course, mm-hmm. those were the people I think that were in um in Percy's ear, like, yo, you need to check this kid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, every time that I talk to Boz and your name comes up, he always speaks very highly of you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Boz thinks, you know what I'm saying? You one of the best rappers to ever touch a mic. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think it was he a good- He told me that a few times, Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I think it was a good look, because I remember when you came to No Limit as well. And it's so funny. I tell people all the time, like, with P, P has so many relationships with so many people- and sometimes they don't cross. You know what I mean? You right, could be right. knowing P and know this person for 30 years, know this person for 30 years, and y'all never know each other. Never you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> you know, uh, but this I think... This is a man that's covering a lot of ground. Exactly, exactly. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows 
from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. But I think that you were a good addition to No Limit because you did bring that that lyrical proudness. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you brought that 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 hip hop. Not that anyone else wasn't, but No Limit right, is right. an infamous you know street rap, gangster rap label. You know what I mean? Right, right. And you brought that uh that that lyrical shit where you know what I mean that that hip hop right. was looking for. Um, you did right. a song with Nas as well too, right? Right. Yeah. What was that like? Because I'm assuming he had to be one of the ones that you really you know what I'm saying, admired on the rap shit. What was it like to, to you know, uh, be on the same track with him? Well, that was, um, it was, I would say it was sort of like a dream come true, but we really didn't, we really didn't, we never were in the studio together. Oh, it's crazy because okay. Nas like uh, sent his, he sent his day that he did his part of thing in New York and we did ours in California and he sent it. But what's weird is I met Nas before I got to New Limit. I actually met Nas outside um, the House of Blues in New Orleans one day, um, right before one of his performances. Me and my partner, Sam, we went around there to get a ticket. And we just saw him just sitting outside by himself smoking a cigarette. So we met him there. So, um, you know, when when we finally met again when I was with Pete, I don't even think I mentioned to him that I met him before. Yeah, but uh, yeah. as far as the song is concerned, it was like, a, it was it was sort of like a dream come true because he was definitely one of those MCs that I I, um, I really looked up to from a a street and lyrical aspect. You know, he kind of put me in the mind of, of uh, Rakim in, in, the, in, a, in, in a way that he he still appeared to be a street guy, which were the guys that I related to being in my neighborhood, but was able to tell me something intelligent through their music. Uh, people like him, people like CL Smooth, that was one of my favorites. Um, of course, your cool G rap. Um, it was it was a lot of guys back then that I would say that I was like, yo, this is this is this is what I see uh, as as a lane that I can follow. You know what I mean? Where you can you can give them the information, enlighten people, but still keep that grit. You mm -hmm. know. So man, so you hear you on no limit. No limit is at its pinnacle. You know this ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Your first album was uh, Shell Shock, uh, correct? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it goes gold, right? I think it either went gold or it was like. A uh, couple copies from it. Right. I probably could have went brought the rest of the copies yeah. to make it gold. Nah, I yeah. think I think it's gold, bro. I think it's gold. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And so you're here with one of the biggest labels. You know what I'm saying? You've been doing this shit since you eight years old, and now you finally mm -hmm. arrived. What was that feeling like? And then you know, getting to be around you know a masterpiece, a mogul of such you know what I'm saying accomplishment and his his work ethic, and we both know him personally. Mm -hmm. But what was that transition like? Now that you, damn, I'm a no limit soldier. I'm I'm out here. Well, <clears throat> for me, it was it was um, I would say that. Being a part, being at No Limit and being a part of that, man, was um, I can't truly say that you you at that time we felt like I know for me, I felt like I was a part of something that was bigger than myself, something that was moving. So um, that was a blessing just to to feel that way, to feel like, yo, this is something that's powerful, is moving and I can say that I'm a part of it. So that was that was great. Now, as far as seeing uh, 
as far as Percy being a um a mogul, what's crazy, man, is when you're around people like that, you see why um they achieve or accomplish per se the things that uh you you see why put let's put it this way you see why that person is who they is you see why they are um admired for what they do because they work hard you know what i mean and and, and to be real with you you know when you're when you're in hip hop a lot of us artists you know we get so fixated on the talent that we forget that a large percentage in the business per se is the business. And when you're around people like that, it reminds you, you know, with him and his other people that I've been around, other um, uh, entrepreneurs and moguls, you get a chance to see, okay, this is why this person is that dude that they're talking about because Absolutely. this person is working harder than everybody. Exactly. And it rubs off on you too, because I mean, I've been around peace since I was 17 years old. I'm 45 mm-hmm. now, you know what I mean? And right. uh, meeting him in 95. And then we came back together when we both moved to LA like 20 years ago. And we've been, mm-hmm. you know, just moving ever since then, you know what I mean? So it, it rubs off on you and people don't see the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. They think that right. everything just happens just magically. Like it's a lot of hard work, you know, to, to achieve right. those goals. Did you, and, let me ask you to go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was, I was about to say like, um, and just another example would be somebody like uh, there's a guy in New Orleans uh, named Trombone Shorty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, Tr- and Trombone Shorty, I was in the studio with Trombone Shorty recently and I got a chance to like actually see this guy at work. And, you know, when I left, I looked at my partner who I went there with and I said, man, so this is why he's Trombone Shorty. Yeah. Because sure. <laughs> this dude is putting in work in yeah. the studio. man. Yeah. And so you get a chance to see. Yeah. That, yo, this person is serious about their crap and they do what they do. And that's how I equated P with business. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy was always on the phone with these people. That always. People making calls here, flying always. there. He just was moving yeah. to make all of this stuff happen. Yeah. Shout out to Trombone Shorty. That's fam. That's Boz's nephew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fam. Um, So let me ask you. So with you, you know, being you, you a No Limit soldier, and of course, in New Orleans, you have this... um. I'm not going to say it's a no limit cash money thing, but it's a thing, mm-hmm. but not really. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? How did you navigate that being that y'all all grew up together? You all see each other. Y'all go back. How did you navigate that thing? Or was it never a thing for you personally? Wait, 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 back it up. So you said if there was a thing, then how, and how, did, the last how did you navigate it? If it even affected you, I'm saying as an artist, okay. as Mac being from no limit, but you right. also have friends at Cash Money. You see what right. I'm saying? So how did you navigate that? Was it ever anything or no? You know, did you feel tribal? Like, okay, you know what? There's no limit. We ain't really rocking with y'all. So even though we go back, eh. Or was it like, man, we ain't tripping on that shit? Well, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people, but I know for <clears> me, <throat> it wasn't like that. Because mm-hmm. me and BG used to talk damn near every day, all day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, me and BG kind of grew up with each other. So right. he was a few years younger than me. Me, him and Slim were like, like, you know, we, we were close. And so when the rumors of of um, the cash money or no limit and all of that stuff, when the rumors of all that was going on, I guess for me, it was it was just like, you know, I ain't I ain't getting caught up in that because this is my partner's 
these my partners and you know i'm 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 kind of neutral in that you got know you I mean? got you okay did um so now you got a uh, shell shocked you got that you riding mm-hmm. high with that um then you do world war three correct right okay that came out what 98 99 99 99 yeah. and you the go shell shock was 98 world war came out september oh. 21st or 28 i believe 1999 okay. so beats by the pound did they produce both of those albums no they did the first one the by first the one. time um world war three came out that was right after beats by the pound kind of split you know, okay they kind of split so did, did XL do your your World War Three? Yeah, XL XL did a lot of. Uh, yeah. It was XL bass heavy. Uh, my partner Renault, okay, uh, who did uh, the track "The Best Friends," was my nigga. Now we beefing and all that. He did that. Um, my partner Rise did a track on there. My DJ Wap did something on there, I believe. So it was a, it was a combination of uh, producers on that one. Okay, yeah. Shout out to the homie XL. That's that's my brother, man. Um, yeah. What was it? What was that like? The transition? You know, did you feel that? You know, working with Beats by the Pound and having to work with a whole uh, other production team? Did you feel like, you know, what I'm saying? Did that kind of fuck with you creatively, or did it just flow? It was like, okay, cool. Or did you miss that sound? <laughs> nah, it, it flowed. I mean, of course, you know, you're gonna miss a sound like like uh, uh, Beats by the Pound, but it flowed for me, I guess, because. Even when I, I got with No Limit, the established sound that Beast by the Pound had had um had created for No Limit, that wasn't what I was particularly used to rapping to anyway. So, you know, any any type of um adjustment for me was 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 I would say pretty um pretty easy. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, working with Beast by the Pound, I grew to love that sound. You know what I mean? And it, it was it was definitely something that I was used to having in the studio. But I mean, just like anything else, when, when if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Something, you know. When you don't have this, you just got to make adjustments. And that's right, what I did. Right, right, right. Yeah, because, I mean, which did, did – so did did XL, did he do most of your World War III? Uh, I would have to – you know, I would have to actually go back and look at how many he did. Because, like I said, it was a combination of people. It was I – remember, I remember X doing some. I remember Renault doing some. Sugar Bear. Um, Raj, Wap, um, Kino, yeah, did something on yeah. there. I produced like mm-hmm. two of them on there. Mm-hmm. Which um, which song? Which song was? Because one of my favorite songs that you did, Mac, was uh, Carlos did one too. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Carlos. Yeah. Yeah. C um, Los. Yeah. One of my favorite songs that you did. Was uh what was the one I think with uh Moby Dick uh y'all redid you're my brother you're my brother. that was on Shell Shock that was on Shell Shock yeah that was on Shell yeah Shock. that was my was shit yeah that was that, my that's, shit. that was man I had been trying to redo that song for a long time what's that man, original song what is that from that's Charlie that's Charlie Wilson that's uh the Gap Band Wednesday Lover right right. 
Yeah, so that was is. like one of my favorite songs when yeah. I was growing up. Man, <laughs> love it, man. So I had to do something with that. Yeah. And the yeah. song that I put on um, uh, the 504 Boys album, Hanging Up Town, that was another uh-huh. song that I've been trying to redo. What, what was that cameo that you redid? Yeah, yeah, hanging downtown, hanging downtown. downtown. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Did you what? How did it make you feel? You know that uh, Rod Wave kind of borrowed from that song. Have you heard that? Which one, my brother? Yeah, my brother. Whoa, I didn't know. You didn't know that? I have to send you the song. Yeah, him and him and money, him and money bag. Yo, yeah, they uh, they did a song. I did not know that. Yeah, they kind of borrow. It's kind of an interpolation of your song, my brother. But they call it uh, it's like. It's a play on you, my mud brother. Don't change on the nigga. Yeah, it's the whole thing from your shit. I'll send it to you. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know for that. sure. Go ahead. No, I was saying when man, I, shout out to Rod. Look, shout out to Rod Wade and Moneybag Yo. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna send it to you. When I when I was uh, if I'm remembering it right, uh, World War Three though, there was like way less features on that album. Was that intentional? Because I remember Shell Shock was just had so many features on it. It was a great album. Uh, right, but but right. World War Three, the feature list was like small, and it was a lot more solo song. If I'm remembering that right, yeah, I, I guess yeah, you can. I had some features on there, but I do think it was probably a lot of song uh, without features as well. And, and and I'm gonna tell you, I don't even know if it was done unintentional. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it was done intentionally or mm-hmm. if it just happened like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that Shell Shock, if I wouldn't have been around. Let's put it this way: Shell Shock would have happened with all the features as well. It's just you know when you're around cats and you're in the studio, everybody is you know with each other. You're like, yo, hop on this, or hop on that, you know. So um, I I think that it was definitely unintentional as far as how World War Three uh, was done. But World War Three was also a reflection of a different time in my life like I don't I think that you know at that time I was kind of in hindsight I think I was depressed and I didn't know at the time that I was depressed you know you don't you don't know that until you kind of grow up and understand what depression is real shit but I think when I recorded World War Three, that's why it's kind of more introspective and it's more uh somber as you would say yeah I think it's darker yeah. than shell shock what you think contributed to that depression what do you think it's still? Um, from? I don't know, man. What's, what's weird is I think that what how how I describe it is almost like at least a poor man knows. Well, well, at least a poor man has the hope that money will make him happy, and that hope alone just gives him the drive that he needs to keep going For to sure. make money. Right now, I. I think when I recorded Shell's World War Three, I understood what it was like to have money and not be happy. And when you get to that place in your life, it's like, yo, that's a dangerous place. When you have everything that you want and yet you still don't have happiness. Yeah. And that can open up a, a, a window for a lot of other uh, a lot of other demons, per right, se, right. Um, for lack of better terms. But I think during that time, I just was. I was like, man, I got all this stuff. I can do what I want. I can go what I want, go where I want. And I just discovered that there ain't no wizard. 
It's like wow. being at the Wizard of Oz going to pull the curtain back and find out there ain't no wizard. Yeah. I mean, shit, Mac, I'm right there with you, bro. You know, I've I've had to deal with depression on and off my whole life. I mean, for me, I think that it was something hereditary, you know, something passed down mm-hmm. from my mother. Do you think that possibly, I mean, did you ever peel the layers back to figure out where it was precipitating from or was it something chemical? Was it actually... Just, you know, maybe shit unresolved shit you were, you know, suppressing or just having to deal with or just simply chemical. Uh, did you get to the bottom of it? Hmm. I think it could have been a combination of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, My dad, see, I named Shell Shock because my dad is a Vietnam War veteran. Mm-hmm. So that's why I named that first album Shell Shock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just growing up, I have we've had to deal with my father's. Um, you know, we had to deal with different things. Him being, you know, shell shock. I remember my dad jumping up in the middle of his sleep, shivering and all type of stuff like that when I was a kid. And uh, I don't, you know, and, and I only make reference to it now that you've mentioned it. I never even considered that all of that could have contributed to what eventually became my state of depression. You know, as far as um, growing up, I was always a very thoughtful child. Um I spent a lot of time to myself, even though I was very outgoing as well. Like I was very outgoing. I was always outside. I was one of them kids. You had to run me inside. I I, I didn't want to be inside. I was outside all day. So I always was outside. But when I was when I was in the house to myself, I spent a lot of time thinking. And um, man, I used to have some crazy. I used to have some very, I would say. Um, interesting thoughts as a child. Like I, I remember questioning like life and existence at like 11, asking my mama, like, what is this? What, what is all of this? Why this doesn't even make sense to me. So those are the kind of things that I remember as a child. And now that you've mentioned peeling back those layers, all of that could have probably contributed to what eventually led to me being in a state of depression. Damn, bro. That's, that's funny. Our, our experiences are somewhat linear because same thing with me, bro. I'm an only child. So I spent a lot of time by myself. Same thing. I was outgoing. I played sports. I was popular, but I still spent a lot of time by myself. And they say, you know, idle mind is the devil's playground. You know what I mean? Right. And I would have all of those thoughts. It'd be nights I couldn't sleep as a kid. And I'm thinking about homeless people. I'm thinking about Death. I'm thinking about all kind of shit in mind, just going, going, going. Right. Uh, But they say that, you know, people that suffer from depression, you know, are they we feel everything. We take on everything. Shit that don't got shit to do with us. You feel the ills of the world. You feel the plight of the world. All of that shit. And you got to learn how to kind of sit down and center yourself and 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 kind of be able to disconnect and decompress you know what i mean and then peel back them layers too you know everybody got a history everybody got shit trauma in different ways and trauma's not always abuse and shit like that like think about it we from the hood so it's not right. normal for like for me to see a friend shot dead at 13 or or you know finding right. dead bodies around my neighborhood or or you know just having to go to funeral after funeral and you know you see it, even in the home you may see you know alcoholism and violence and different shit like that a lot of that shit right. affects people in different ways you know what i'm saying and it manifests itself as you as you grow and some shit it just it just come out the clear blue you like where the fuck right. that come from you know what i mean right. so yeah i agree yeah, I, I agree. And, and I was 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 um, was sad, I think, in some instances is 
man, I think as being from the, the hood, I think we we become desensitized to a lot of a lot of stuff that happened. And it's almost like it is normalized. If I would say it's like, you know, we see it was normal for me to see somebody get shot. And that shouldn't be. Like it shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I mean, normal to the to the to the point where, you know, kids in the hood get to the point where someone gets shot and it's like, damn. But anyway, what time the game come on? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like because Real it becomes shit. something that we see so often to we was like, man, they ain't my oh, they ain't my people. But anyway, and exactly. move out. So yeah. And 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 I think that those things, uh, even though we become desensitized, we still cannot wipe out what actually enter our senses. We can't wipe it out. So at that moment, for whatever reason, we may not feel nothing for what we just saw, but you're still a human. So when you grow and you mature to a point where you begin to feel, exactly, and you yeah. still got those images in yeah. your mind, yeah. and now when those images yeah. play back to you, it creates a reaction now. So you'll find yourself just breaking out crying behind something yeah. that happened 20 years ago yeah. that when you saw it, it meant nothing to you. Real talk. And I think I think that can be a contributing factor without a doubt. Just the things that we've seen yeah. can be a contributing factor. And even, even us talking through it, like even you saying it when you did Shell Shocked, you were depressed, but yet you have... No, World War. World, World War. War World War. War. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. World War Three. And and, you know, you have money, you you know what I mean? You doing your career, you doing what you love. It's funny because the same thing with me, like at a at a point when I really started getting to some money, I'm seeing success. You know what I think it was with us It's like we became civilians. We, we got out of survival mode. You know what I'm saying? Right. And we got a chance to be a civilian and look back. See, just like when you was in jail, you had to become the nigga you had to become to survive in there, right? Right. But now when you free, you kind of looking back like, fuck. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you're right. not thinking like you was when you was locked up because you ain't got to be that nigga. But when we in the right. hood and we just going through what we going through, we have on this armor. You know what I'm saying? Like you say, we taught not to show emotion. We taught not to, you know what I'm saying? Everything is just so... Uh, aggressive, you know, as, as Charlemagne would say, toxic masculinity and all of that shit, you know all what right. I'm saying? But when we when we get to a point to where we can be quiet, you know, and things are peaceful, it's like all that shit, you got to deal with it now. Like, damn, I guess I am right. human, you know what I'm saying? And Because an old person once told me, you are who you really are yeah. when nobody's watching. Exactly. So when nobody's watching and you're left to your thoughts, Mm-hmm. And some people can't handle their thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's why they get. Um, that's why they 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 ingest all these yeah. chemicals Self-medicate. that we call drugs. Yeah, self medication. They, 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 they're yeah. taking all these drugs. They get loaded. They're smoking. They're shooting. Mm-hmm. They're doing whatever to keep themselves from thinking. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they're running from their own thoughts. Yeah, and and um, I do believe that an idle mind without proper guidance Mm -hmm. can be the devil's workshop because some kids, if you leave them to their thoughts, they would build the internet. Yeah. (laughs) They would build uh, a spaceship. You know what I mean? But these are kids that I think that are, you know, people, we can arguably say that they're born with a certain level of IQ, which 
could be. I'm not here right. to debate whether or not that's true. But I do know that when a kid is properly taught and educated and mm-hmm. balanced, yeah, then when they're left to their own thoughts, you're going to get the best out of it. Mm-hmm. Man. So World War Three that comes out, I believe that went damn near gold as well. Um, so that was your last album with No Limit? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was 99, correct? Right. Okay. So, so said incident, we ain't even got to get into it for real because it's already well documented. That happened in 2000? Yeah. February 2000. February 2000. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure everybody watching has seen, if you haven't seen it, go pull up, you know, uh, McKinley Phipps, the whole case. Um, There's been, I seen it on Discovery. You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of shit out there. Right, right. So, um, but for those who don't know your story, you know, um, you can tell it just real quick. You don't have to get into the incident, but what happened in 2000? Um, just. I, well, in, in 2000, um, you know, on February 20th, on February 20th, my parent, my mother uh, hosted this event in Slidell, Louisiana. I came to the event as a special guest and sometime around midnight, which made it February 21st, somewhere after midnight, a fight broke out on the dance floor, leaving a young man, um, uh, a young man as a result lost his life. Um, and you know, my condolences to his family. And a couple hours later, I was arrested at my home. And um, they arrested me because witnesses say they saw me pull out a gun. And I think in 2001 was my trial. I was found guilty of manslaughter. But a week after my arrest, a person, the person who, um, a person actually came forth and told the officers that they were the person that shot this guy. And I still was convicted by an all-white jury in a very rural parish in uh, Louisiana. Which parish was that, Jefferson? St. Tammany. Okay. Wow. You were in Slidell? Slidell, Louisiana. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And that's, the parish was St. Tammany. That shit crazy. Now, real quick, Mac, that night you had a you had a 38, or was it 357? What was it? No, I had a 38. 38. Me, which was which was registered and legal. Registered to me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Legally registered. Registered to you. And you right. shot one round in the air, correct? No. Oh, you no, never shot. I didn't shoot. I never shot the gun at all. Yeah. And they determined that when I gave them the uh, when I gave them the gun after my arrest, I gave them the gun. It was at my house. They still they had still had all the bullets in it. They determined in court that the gun wasn't fired. But after doing that, what they did was they created the possibility. So these 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 lawyers are clever. The district attorney the district attorney was very clever, particularly the prosecutor. He didn't have any physical evidence. He didn't have any circumstantial evidence. So what he did was he created this theory to the in the jurors' minds. He just wanted to create the idea that it was possible for me to have gotten rid of a gun in between Slidell and Baton Rouge, which is 45 minutes apart. So because they arrested me at my house, they created the idea that I could have had another weapon because the weapon I gave them was obviously not the weapon. So they created the theory that I threw out a weapon or I could have gotten. Now, they never went to go look for any weapon. They never went try to go search for another weapon. They just created the thought in the jurors' mind, which were already predominantly 
they were all white and predominantly middle-aged, right? And we're talking about one of the most conservative parishes in Louisiana. And um, I think that with all of those factors involved, I think that my innocence of guilt was already weighed by the, the public of that area before the trial even started. But they had someone they had someone who who copped to the shooting. Did, yeah. Did they re, yeah. did they look into him or into any of that? No, they let him go. They told him that um, basically they threatened him because they felt like he was interfering with their investigation. The words they used with my father was they have who they want. Um, they let this guy go. And they held an accessory after the fact charge over his head until after my charges was resolved and they dropped his and let him go. Wow. Did they ever test your hands? Did they ever test your clothes for gunshot, uh, gun, gunpowder? Residue? Yes, they did. Those yeah. tests were never found. They supposedly they supposedly not only never found them, they got an expert officer to get on the stand and testify, and this is in the transcripts for those who want to look it up. Um, he testified, I think his name was Officer Stubbs. He testified that paraffin tests are unreliable in Louisiana, uh, unreliable, and therefore we don't use them in Louisiana, was his exact words. Wow. Now, I wonder how the hundreds are possibly thousands of people who were indeed convicted because of paraffin tests. Right. I wonder if exactly. they really, you know, I wonder how they felt after hearing this guy say that they're unreliable and we therefore don't use them in Louisiana. But that was his, that was what he had to say to um, counter the idea of us even finding the just in case we find the paraffin test, look, they're unreliable anyway. Yeah, yeah, they're unreliable, but we did do them. We just don't know where they're at. That's yeah, they don't, they don't, they can't find them. We couldn't find them. Yeah. The the cameras that were in the club as well, we couldn't find the tapes because there were there were there were uh, surveillance cameras in the club. We couldn't find them either. So when you say so, when they make the statement, we got who we want. Um, do you think that? You know, it was because of you being a part of No Limit and and it was the same thing that because, you know, I, we've all been targeted. I know that I've been at the airport and me and P been coming off the plane and feds is waiting on us just for no reason. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and we know that Rap-A-Lot has been targeted. Death Row was targeted. Right. Uh, Murder, Inc. was targeted. Do you think that? It was kind of like, okay, that incident happened. You got wrapped up in it, but oh, you one of them no limit boys. We got you. You think that that played right. a part into it? Yeah and no. Mm-hmm. All right. I do think that no limit was targeted. Mm-hmm. But I think that I was targeted in particular because of circumstances surrounding this case, right? And I was the leader or I was the, the, just bluntly put, I was the most famous person in the room. So I, when the witnesses said, one of the witnesses said, Mac Nim, 
Nim don't have a name in the face, right? But that guy on that poster do. So I believe that when the officers came looking for me, I like to believe that they really thought they had the person who did this. I like to believe that. I, I try to believe that because I try to be objective. You know, I try to believe that these men actually came looking for the person who they thought was responsible. Yet, I do think that where the, where the malice came in is once they found out that this person is was not, because I do believe that sometime in the middle of the night, they started realizing that we may actually be questioning the wrong person. But then I believe that the peer pressure from their community and just the 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 the, um, the opportunity to break the big case yeah. for that parish, I mm. think that was stronger than what was actually right in their for in sure. their consciousness. Yeah. So I think they just rolled with it and they 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 got lazy with their police work instead of fully investigating this crime. It's like, nah, we have this person. And instead of wasting our time on investigating whether or not this person did it, we're going to spend that same time proving by however means we can the person that we want to we want to basically tie this crime to this guy that we got in custody yeah i mean just that. i mean let's let's just say it mac i mean you it was careers built off your conviction you know what i'm saying right like think i mean you you was famous at the time you know what i'm saying right. you are famous gangster rapper a part right. of a label who they don't want there anyway because at that want, time right. p was in baton rouge he up there in the governor's fucking gated section they didn't want right. y'all down there you know they what i'm saying want us there. so right we're going to come up this is sensationalized we got the fucking gangster rapper niggers and we finna show y'all why they don't need to be here that's right. really what it was you know what right I'm saying? right yeah and 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 I do believe that that is definitely that that was definitely a contributing factor. The other side of it is. I was just in the wrong place at the right time for them. It was like, oh, we got us one. So now. We not only have us one, there were certain um, things or certain factors that also contributed to me being the target. And so with a combination of all of that, I think that it was the perfect opportunity for them to set an example for their parish. Like, yo, this is what we do. We're tough on crime. Well, it, it was almost like the perfect situation for them. And where I think that it was wrong was had I had these guys wholeheartedly believe that I was the person who did this and they followed through with it, I wouldn't even be mad at it. Because even though you were wrong, you really believed that you were doing the right thing. But that's not the case. I strongly believe that somewhere in between my house and getting back to their office, they knew what was up. And instead of doing the right thing, they allowed their appetite for fame for them of course to get in the cloud way. chasing cloud chasing at its best cloud chasing yeah yeah so at that time had had c 
already been dealing with his situation or was his situation after no. yours? His his came two years later. Okay, okay. So um so so a jury of twelve mm-hmm. convicted a man who was never caught with a weapon, never had a criminal record, never mm-hmm. broke a law, never you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and and cooperated. You didn't run, right. you didn't flee, you know. Right. Um and they sat there even with all it wasn't even strong circumstantial evidence it was right, just right. well it's possible as you said i mean so once that that verdict comes down of guilty and you got did you get 20 with a l was it 25 with a l or no i got 30 i got 30, 30 years once that that came down and you blew trial and they say 30 years man what was that moment like when you like fuck and then you're right. innocent. It's one thing when you're guilty. Yeah. You kind of yeah. just like, ah, okay, you caught me with my hand in a cookie yeah. jar. But you're innocent. What what was that right. feeling like? All right. So, look, before I answer that, I want to clear up something. Mm-hmm. And I know you didn't mean it no way, but I okay. just want to clear this up for the viewers. Okay. When he said cooperated, he's not saying I snitched. <laughs> so oh, I just oh make yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, cooperated, he, meaning that, right. that I, you, I, you I, didn't I, have I, nothing I, to say, but I was I there. I was there. Right. I didn't and do that. I allowed nothing. them to use my. I, I, yeah. I cooperated in a sense when they came to my house. Yeah. I didn't try to buck with them. I didn't ask for no attorney. That's let what I meant. House. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's right, what right. I meant. Oh, yeah. I know that's what you meant. I just wanted to let the viewers know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, that's what we mean by good catch. Because you know so, these motherfuckers, they'll be in the comments. Yeah, like, yeah, like, that nigga Mac will snitch. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good catch. Cooperate like that. Yeah. <laughs> good catch. So, so basically, what happened was, man, I thought I was getting out. The whole trial. Mm-hmm. When I tell you, I really thought that um, I thought that I was going to be found found not guilty. I really mm-hmm. believed that the whole way, you know, because I just was in my heart. I was like, I know I didn't do anything. So these jurors, you know, even though it was 12 white people from uh, rural USA, I felt that these people were not going to believe this bullshit. You know what I mean? I was like, this is too weak, man. You have a guy confess. You have no evidence, like you mentioned, no circumstances, no, no, uh, no physical evidence, nothing. So I thought I was going to get out. So when I got convicted, I never forget when they, uh, when the jury came back. It was weird because I can hear two people damn near yelling from the de- deliberation room, like this is bullshit. I like I could hear them yelling, right? So when they came out, I saw two women crying. The jurors asked the the, the um, judge. What is the difference between second degree murder and manslaughter? Mm-hmm. I was on trial for second degree murder. Mm. When they asked the judge this question, I knew already in my heart that I was about to be convicted of manslaughter because I felt that the jury were trying to please or appease all parties involved. I was on trial for second degree murder. On the verdict sheet, you have not guilty. Uh, guilty and manslaughter. You had, you had, you had uh, not guilty. Wait, it was second degree murder, guilty, not guilty of second degree murder and manslaughter. So I believe that. I mean, I believe that what they did was chose that thing that was gonna, in their heart, appease all of the people in the court. You're gonna mm-hmm. get the conviction mm-hmm. for the family, and yet you're gonna get give this young man, he won't get life because second degree murder carries life right, and right. manslaughter carries 40 years. Right. So I believe that the jury 
felt they were doing something that was going to satisfy everybody. Oh, so they thought right? they was giving you a solid, giving you 20 years. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Because they didn't know because they didn't know the, the uh, they didn't determine the sentencing. Manslaughter carries zero to 40 years. So I got I could have gotten sentenced anywhere between that range, zero to 40. Right. So I believe that they didn't believe it was a murder. I think that those people believe that whatever happened, it was um, unintentional. So they gave it manslaughter, right? Now, the sentencing came about two months later. So um, when they sentenced me, they basically gave me 10 years short of the max. And um, I remember the judge saying something to the effect, he like praised me and then like cut my head off. It was weird because the way he said it was like, what we know about McKinley Phipps is he has never had a, um, he has, he's gainfully employed. He's this, that, and the other. He has never had a criminal record as a juvenile, never had a criminal record as an adult. In fact, he only, the only time he has ever been uh, in the back of a police car was for a traffic ticket, an unpaid traffic ticket. He said, and at this moment he have a 15 month old son. And I was like, whoa, I'm about to be. He said, but obviously he wasn't thinking of his 15-month-old son when he committed this crime, so we're going to send him to 30 years all later. What's weird is I think that I sort of chuckled inside a little bit. Like, I was in a state of shock. Like, I was like, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, I know this motherfucker yeah. didn't just say 30 years. You know what I mean? 30 years? Mind you, at the time, I had no knowledge of the law. So in my head, 30 years was 30 freaking years in prison. I didn't know anything about the law. So I remember going back to my cell that night and I cried myself to sleep. I remember it vividly. I'm talking about I literally just laid face down on the bed with tears falling out of my eyes. And mm -hmm. I just remember waking up the next day. Rightfully so. And when I woke up the next day, I was like, all right, now I got to figure this out. You know what I mean? That's when escaping crossed my mind. That's when uh, just a lot of stuff, man, crossed your mind when you're, in, when you're in that vulnerable. I'm trying to figure this out. So I'm like, all right, now I got to sign an appeal. I got to do this. I got to do that. And all else fails, I'm hopping that fence. They're just going to have to do what they do. I'd rather them, be sh I'd rather them shoot me and I, get, I die trying to hop that damn fence than for me to be spinning because I couldn't see 30 years. I, I couldn't see that far. That was my you next question I, mean? I was going to ask you, and you didn't have to answer it, but just be, did you ever like consider suicide? Like, I can't do this shit. No. I'm innocent. Yeah. No, never considered that. Okay. I was more of like, nah, because in my mind, I'm like, if I get to the front where I'm going to kill myself, now nah, I'm going to hop this fence and you're just going to have to do what you do. Yeah. And if you kill me, I ain't tripping. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, yeah, I ain't, I, I ain't got them kind of dust. I ain't, I ain't got real, them, I, real can't, shit. I can't put that kind of my own head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real shit. Real One shit. thing is like, I'm gonna take my chances yeah. because if I didn't got to that point, well, I'm just that means you ready to go, and if you ready to go, then I might well let you off me trying to get up out of here. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. At so, least go out fighting. Trying to you yeah, know I mean? I'm yeah. Go out fighting. I ain't going out like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, so that's too big. That's too easy of a win for you. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? So once you so okay, you 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 accept it. I mean, damn, you you know you finna do twenty at least. Um, 
So no I, ten is what they was telling me. Ten the guys, you know, was like, man, you just gonna have to do a third of that, bro. You just gonna have to do ten years, and then you can go up for road. So then I'm like, all right, cool. Now I gotta figure out, you yeah. know, this time. Uh huh. So even if you you're you're thinking that you're about to do ten, um, I mean, how how did you did you go straight to Angola? No. Okay. I went to what they did for me was. They was trying to keep me away from the South. I guess mm-hmm. they felt like I knew too many people in Southern Louisiana, so they sent me up North. Mm-hmm. They started they started sending me to Northern Louisiana from mm-hmm. the time they, they got me out of there. They sent mm-hmm. me up North. And um, that's where I started. I guess they were trying to send me somewhere where they, they, they didn't think people knew me. Was, <laughs> it, know, so. was it difficult for you to get acclimated to, to prison? Man, it was weird, to be honest with you. In some ways it was. And in some ways it wasn't, man. It was like, you just do what you have to do. You know, I, I got to a point, you know, mentally where I was just like, I, um, I'm getting out of here. So I believed every year I was getting out of there. But every year I believed that something was going to happen that was going to overturn the situation and get me out. I believed that every year until I eventually got out. Um, so my plan was more of like for the year, just like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to accomplish this, that, this for this year. I should be out next year. So I never really got, um, I never really accepted the finality of, of, of being in prison. So I never allowed my mindset to become, uh, I, ne- I never became a prisoner because I, in my mindset, I always was getting out. I was just passing through. That was that was where my mind was at. So that kind of kept me focused on what I needed to do to get out. Mm-hmm. How'd you spend your time in prison? I mean, you know, did you get into programs I, and different things like that? Right, music. Yeah. Well, the first couple of years, you know, I, I was I just read a lot and I was working on my case. I was like just working on that case, man. I ain't gonna do nothing but work, work, work on the case, try to get out. Um, and then over time, what I started realizing, I was like, Yo, Mac, well. It's just me talking to myself, like, Mac, where well, they let you out right now? Like, dude, what, what you know how to do? Like, how you going to get a job? How you going to do this? So you better start taking some trades. So then I started taking trade schools and stuff like that because I wanted to prepare myself. I was like, all right, what if you get out? People don't want to hear you rap no more. It's over with. So you better know how to do something. And uh, I started taking educational classes. So after doing all that, I was like, well, yo, I'm seeing guys. Uh, follow a certain path. The guys that was getting out, I saw them making certain decisions and putting themselves in certain positions. So I like to win. With anything in life, I like to win. So from a prisoner standpoint, gaining your freedom is a win. So I started paying attention to the dudes who was in my position that was getting out. And I was like, okay, they're going from the education building to the law library. Then they're volunteering, they're mentoring, and they're doing all of this. And eventually, by the time their application gets on the governor's desk, they're gone. So I start putting in the work. So that's what I started doing, man. And that's what eventually led to my release. Because I figured out within the first couple of years I was in prison, I figured out that money wasn't going to get me out of there. It's like they was letting me know, we don't care who you know and how much money they got. Ain't nothing happening. They showed me better than they could tell me. So I started, it was around that time where I, where I, where 
I, after understanding that or after um, accepting that, that's when I started doing everything else mm-hmm. to try to work toward getting out. So, so you already locked down and then you see what's going on with C, with C murder. Um, mm-hmm. At what point do you, do y'all, because uh, I know y'all wound up in Angola together, correct? No, we wound up at Hunt together. At Hunt, at Hunt together. So what was that that reunion like under those circumstances? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because how many years well, did y'all do in Hunt together? C came to Hunt, I think, in 2017. Mm-hmm. So from 2017 up until my release, we okay. were together. Okay. So what yeah. what was that like? Um, Bittersweet. You know, and... I always see it was always hard for me to see C in that position, knowing him from the streets and knowing the type of person he was and how big his heart was. And, um, you know, C was one of them dudes who was always there for everybody he loved. And he's one of the most his strength and his weakness to me. And because everything is, you know, one and the same, the duality of life. His strength and his weakness is loyalty. C is one of the most loyal pers- people I've ever met in my life. And um, just to see him have to, to see him be humbled, man, you know, to, to be in a situation where, because he keep his head high, you know, C gonna always keep his head high. He always in good spirits. And a lot of times when I encountered him, he was in good spirits. When he was around me, I, I think just because even if he was going through something, he always kept a good face around me, I think, because he never wanted me to worry about it. Because he knows that I always worried more about him because his situation is different from mine. And in fact, that I always knew I had an outdate. I always knew that no matter what, even if I did the whole 30, even if I would have done um, the whole 25 and 6 that I, I had to do on the 30, I knew that I was eventually getting out of prison. So I was preparing from day one. C's situation was different. They gave him life. And in Louisiana, natural life means life without parole. There ain't no parole in Louisiana. And um, in that same vein, there is um, a law right now on the, ta- on the, on the tables in uh, Louisiana that me and some of my colleagues are supporting. Uh, they're trying to get parole for all lifers in Louisiana. Because um, I think, in my opinion, that um, it's about time, man, that yeah. that that a person at least get the opportunity to go yeah. before the board. Yeah. We don't have that opportunity in Louisiana. Life in Louisiana means natural life. Right. That's it. Damn. So because so, when I was around him, I, you know, we used to talk, but I can say I always felt like, I always felt almost a... Uh, 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 I almost felt like a sense of guilt inside knowing that, man, I'm going to be leaving my boy. No matter what else happened, I'm going to be leaving him, you know, and and that was hard for me. I don't know how he felt about it, but it was hard for me to to uh, see him in that situation. Yeah, like survival's, uh, survivor's guilt, you know what I mean? Right, almost. right, but, yeah. right. Do you still uh, keep in contact with C? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I talked to C. C called me about, uh, last time I spoke with him was probably about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about he's, two weeks ago. I how's he doing? Him. He's good. 
Once again, he's doing good. Every time I talk to him, he's always in good spirits. And, you know, C is a fighter. He's not going to ever give up. I promise you that. He ain't going to never give up. But I think also because he knows how I feel about him, I think a lot of times, even if he's not doing all right, he always, you know, he always joke with me every time I talk to him. You know, he's playful. And I think he does that because he knows that um, he know how he know that it hurts me to see him in that situation. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, doing 20, 21 years in prison, I mean, what was I'm sure you got some crazy stories. What was the the craziest oh, shit? That, what was the craziest <laughs> shit that you seen, you know, locked up that you can repeat anyway? <laughs> Man, look, I'm gonna tell you the weirdest thing I seen. I'm gonna. This is just some weird stuff. This this is this is about as about as weird as something I <laughs> I, I, I can see. I woke up one night. Um, I was man. This was um, had to be 2004. I was at a prison up north called Winfield. I never forget. I woke up one night, man. And I'm hearing a guy um, groaning. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm the, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm about to flash out because now I'm thinking that somebody is disrespecting me by having sex near my bed. Right. <laughs> okay. This is what I'm thinking in my yeah. head when you wake up, and that's a no-no in prison. Yeah. You're not about to be having sex around yeah. those straight dudes yeah. just like doing your business in front of them. That's like yeah. disrespect. Yeah. So I think it was like 2004. Man, I woke up in the middle of the night. And uh, I just heard groaning, right? Like, so, man, I turned over. I looked, and about two beds down from mine, a guy was getting his toes sucked. You hear me? <laughs> getting his toes sucked by a dude that looked like Danny Glover. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm sitting there like, what in the hell? <laughs> it was one of them things I turned, I looked. <laughs> man, I I was in a state of shock. I just turned over and went to sleep. And I said, man, I, this ain't happening. I must be funny. I turned yeah. my head off. Yeah, you were, said, you were no. shell-shocked, huh? <laughs> man, when I tell you that was the craziest thing I seen in prison, I was like, what in the hell? So not only was a nigga... To- not only Wait, was is a that nigga, still disrespect though. Yeah, I mean, not only was a nigga getting his toes sucked, but the nigga looked like Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> so was this lethal weapon, Danny Glover, or color purple lethal? Danny, <laughs> or color purple, Danny Glover. <laughs> this was lethal weapon, Danny Glover. Oh, I was shit. like, I'm like man. So, all right, the way it goes in prison. If you're doing it in my aisle, that's disrespect. He yeah. wasn't in my aisle. He was like two or three hours down. <laughs> and he had some other dudes to go off on him because the other dudes woke up too. And it did, you know, one thing led to another. Damn. But the fact that I woke up and saw that, I was like, man, I know I didn't just, man, I just turned over. <laughs> this shit ain't really happening. I just Damn. turned back over and went to sleep. But man, that was one of the that was one of the craziest things I saw. And I saw a little brother, um, another little guy, man. Um I don't know what y'all call synthetic marijuana in yeah. uh, in Cali. Yeah. Well, in in, in Cali, I don't know what they call it, but back home in Kansas City, Missouri, they call it K Town, K two, K two. What K two? All right. Well, down here in, the, in New Orleans, we call it Mojo. Okay. In Louisiana, right? Uh-huh. So there was a little guy that smoked some Mojo, and man, all I can tell you is this guy ran and had a literal boxing match with the microwave 
literally. Like he ran up to the microwave and just was fussing, cussing the microwave out, punching it, uppercutting it. He bust all his knuckles up and then he ran under the bed and hid. And so when he came out of his stupor or whatever, we asked him what happened. And he said, man, all he remember is he said he remember hearing. He said he don't even remember fighting the microwave. He just remembered hearing a guy uh, wipe his tennis shoes with a towel and he said, for some reason, he blacked out and he thought that dogs were chasing him in the bed he ran under. He thought he was hiding under a school bus. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't make this stuff up. I don't know what this dude was going through in his mind. Damn. But that was my first time ever seeing a human being have a fight with an inanimate object. And he was like really going in on the microwave like the microwave that did himself. Damn. And he bust all his hands and all this stuff up. Oh, but he was crazy. on that mojo. Yeah. Did you have to shoot any fades in there? I'm sure 21 years you had to, you know, get down a few times. What? Uh, wait, what is, what is it? No, I, I said you had to shoot. Oh, okay, my bad. That's Cali slang. Uh, did you, did you, <laughs> oh, right, did you right, have right. to, <laughs> did you have to chunk them? I'm saying, did you have any fights while you was in there? Man, I'm, if, if I, man, look, if I tell people this, they're going to think I'm lying. Mm-hmm. I never had an argument in prison. Wow. Damn. 21 years. Damn, so it you never like had this. a discipline discipline write-up, nothing? No, wow. never had that. I had one person that, um, I, one encounter I had, and, and it wasn't, you know, and, and I say this with all respect, one encounter I had with a guy who had some intentions. And I told him in a very calm manner, and I, and I think because I, I showed the brother respect when I told him, um, I told him that he was whatever he was trying to do, that he was going to have to kill me. I said, you're going to have to kill me. So I'm just letting you know up front that whatever your intentions are, you will have to take my life. And if you're not ready to do that, then you might want to leave that alone. So me and the brother shook hands and we never had no more problems. And um, I think that when I, you know, because of the way I did it, I pulled him away from everybody. Yeah. I yep, didn't, yep. I didn't say it in front of a crowd yep, because I, yep. I didn't want to be, I, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to make a scene. I didn't really want nobody to know what was going on. And, um, and the truth of the matter is I had the ups because I had a lot of guys that I had, you know, was cool with in the, in the, in the spot where I was at over the years. And, um, if I would have said the word, he would have really been touched up. But um, I didn't do that. I pulled him to the side and I was like, man, I don't know if you want to do that. Because if you want to do that, then you will have to take my life. And if you ain't ready to go there, then you might well leave that alone. Wow. So we shook yeah, hands. And it was cool. That's deep. That's conflict resolution for your ass. Um, what what do you think contributed to you not having issues uh, in, I mean, I know, but I'm saying for the viewers that they're probably trying to figure it out. Why do you think, what, what do you think contributed to you not having those issues? Well, what I learned in, in cr- prison quick was, um, you know, when I first went to jail uh, and eventually prison, I was spooked like anybody else. This was a new experience to me. I was scared to death. And that fear is what made me want to hurt people because I'm like, yo, I got to set an example. Ain't nobody going to play with me. I'm talking about in my head, I was like, the first fight I have up in here, I'm not going to whoop him. I'm going to bite him and eat all his arm off. So when the people come here, they're going to know, man, this dude is out of his mind. Don't, don't mess with this dude. 
You know what I mean? So, like, in my mind, I was like, I got to do something that's going to be shock value. I'm about to beat him up, cut his arm off, and go to chewing on it. So when they come <laughs> in there, they're going to go, man, this dude is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, but fear does that. You know, fear had me in that state of mind when I first got in there. I'm like, man, anybody do anything, I'm downing them. You know, that's, that, was, that was the thought process. But after sitting back and watching these old school cats, and then old school cats come and talk to me, and it was like, young, it is all about respect. You treat folks the way you won't be treated. So just like the situation that I mentioned to you with the guy, that's how I would have wanted someone to come to me. He was out of line, and I pulled him to the side and whispered to him, like, man, look, if you show you won't do that. You know what I mean? Because I think that that's how men mm -hmm. should address each other. Real talk. You know, not little boys, how men should address each other. Real shit. And I think, and I think that because I treated people that way, and I think that was, that energy was given back to me in return. And um, also, I think that um, when you're in prison, see, you ain't, See, on the streets, you can put a face out there to the public and then go home to your house and be somebody different. But what's real in prison is you're going to eventually show who you truly are because we're around each other 24-7. And see, the way the prison system set up in Louisiana, we ain't in those cells. We're in an open flat, an open dome with beds mm. in it. Damn. So you're not going to... Unless you really, really want to go there with somebody, you need to leave it alone. Right. Because you got to go to sleep. Right. And ain't no balls <laughs> separating you from this cat. Right. You tell this cat, I'm going to do you blah, 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 and then you go to sleep. Damn. And then that's how you get your issue. Damn. So you basically, we had like a, a understood respect amongst each other. And, you know, people see your heart. They see who you are. And once they see who you are, then that's how they treat you. And I think people saw who I was. They saw that I had good intent, you know, and they saw that I wasn't afraid. See, once that fear, once I overcame those fears, and when you're not afraid, then I think that freedom is inevitable. And when I say freedom, I ain't even speaking about getting out of jail. I'm speaking about just your your peace. Once yes. you got that inner peace yes. in yeah. a place like that, yeah. people see that. And those who are about that bullshit, they're not going to even come around you because the bullshit in them is not going to even allow them to come in your presence when you got that inner peace. But that inner peace could only be accomplished after you overcome those fears. Absolutely. That's a word. Yeah. That applies out here in the world, too. You know, people mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah. Um. So man, so you you down to your your twenty first year. You just came home earlier this year, correct? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> when you mm -hmm. seen when you saw that you had a date. Now let me clarify: Did you get paroled or did you get clemency? Well, both. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't get pardoned. Mm -hmm. All right. The the path in Louisiana for those who don't have parole eligibility or who trying to get early release is filing for clemency, a clemency application. Now this clemency application is basically clemency is you basically partitioning to you petitioning to the parole and pardon board 
seeking some type of relief. Because now, you know, you're at that point where the courts ain't giving you relief in the courts. So now you're going to the parole and pardon board. So what I did was on my clemency application, I asked for early parole eligibility, right? Because I would have gone home in 2024 anyway. I had three more years I was going to be I was going to be paroled anyway and to, and, uh, because I was sentenced to 85% of 30 years. And uh, I maxed out the most that I can get in um, good time. Good time is basically you knocking time off your sentence. So I was able to knock up to a year off of my sentence, and I did. So I was going to get parole after 24 years and six months. But I got uh, I filed for clemency and got parole after 21 years. Okay. Okay. So... So, man, you knew you was coming home. So was it <clears throat> were you afraid? Were you were you ready or were you a little nervous? Because, you know, you come into oh, a I whole definitely, other world. I definitely was nervous. Yeah. I was ready, but I was real nervous, man, because yeah. it, it was the world was a different place yeah. when I left it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you know, I'm still getting adjusted. Yeah, I love it now. Yeah. Even I love the yeah. freedom, man. It's so good to not be on that head count. Hell yeah. yeah somebody coming, you know, through the dome <laughs> county and all of that stuff. Yeah. And um. But with weird, I came out to a totally different world. It's yeah. like everybody's sensitive. You can't really say how you feel. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, not not that I would want to offend anyone anyway, mm -hmm. but it's still just, um, it's, it's still just kind of, you know, it's kind of messed up that, you know, people are in a position now where they can't really say what they feel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not used to that because in the pen, it's totally different. Right. You better say what you feel. You Hell know, don't yeah. do no pretending. Yeah. You got to say what you feel. Hell yeah. 21, so, you can't say midget anymore. Your whole first album would have been canceled. <laughs> right, right. You can't say anything. Yeah, that, exactly. My first album would have been canceled. And, and you know, and. And, and like I said, I don't I don't want to, you know, I don't like to offend anyone, mm -hmm. but I don't want them to offend me by not allowing me to speak my exactly. mind. You know exactly. I mean? so, exactly. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you get out earlier this year. Um, so now, you know, you come home. What 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 were your plans? Like when you were locked up, what did you would you do want to jump right back into music? Or you did you have aspirations to do something else? You know, like because you're older now, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. you you kind of left right when you were, you know, you was right. blossoming. About to, yeah. yeah, about to pop. You know what I mean? So I mean, where do you stand as an artist now? Well, I mean, now I I do music. Music is therapy for me. You know, mm -hmm. that's why I taught myself how to play all kinds of instruments when I was locked up. I saw that. Yeah. And I just, it, it's therapy for me and I do it because I love it. You know, if I can make some money or generate some money doing it, that is great because I would love to, ideal situation for me is I would make money the rest of my life just recording and performing music. That's what I love to do. But like, you know, like yourself, I'm also an artist. You know, I draw, we paint. My family is, I come from a family of artists. Like my mother is a professional artist. My dad, he is the artist as well. He just don't do it, you know, for, he don't, he don't, he don't do it for retail like my mother does. Uh, all of my brothers and sisters are artists. You know, one of my brothers was, um, uh, all of us are, draw or paint. All of us do that. Then all of us are musicians. One of my brothers was actually the trombone player for uh, Salons, for Beyonce's sister. Um, mm -hmm. 
My other brother is a saxophone player. My sister is the lead singer of a reggae band. So it's like all of us are some kind of way connected to art and music. So I was going to be doing that anyway when I got out, you know, okay. because we all, the family, we've been making these plans for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. So now let's talk about the No Limit reunion, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. tour. So you get out, which is the tour that we're both on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, how excited were you to uh, reunite with your brothers and sisters, with Mercedes, with Mia X, with Servon, with Fiend, with P, with Silk, you know, Mystical? How exciting was that? Man, what's crazy is, man, it was, I was more excited really to just, I was more excited just for us to all be together and just laughing and reminiscing about old times or whatever, because we was on, all of us was on a bus together and we just was, you know, talking about stuff that happened, you know, Serve is a clown. Serve had us just laughing about stuff that we remembered at the time. So I was really more excited about that than the actual, um, the, the performances I love. I love the performances once I got on stage, but just anticipating it, I was more excited just to be around everybody again than uh, to actually doing the performances. The performances were actually making me nervous because yeah. I hadn't been in front of that yeah. many people in a long time. So, yeah. you know, one of the, uh, I don't know if it was the promoter, one of the guys come to me it was just like, Max seemed kind of, yeah, you know, I was watching. You, kinda, yeah, yeah, you yeah, had to find like, your footing. You had to find your footing. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, yeah. man, they don't, they have to understand, man. Yeah. I, I haven't <laughs> been in front of yeah. thousands of people in a long time, uh-huh. so it was like, and then I'm I'm 21 years older than yeah. the last time. Yeah, we was doing this, so right. I'm looking at Fiend's energy, and I'm just like, this dude still <laughs> got the same amount of energy. Yeah, I'm like, man, I need some of whatever he drinking or smoking. Yeah. I need some of that because. Me, I'm looking at it's so overwhelming. Just like being in there was yeah. so overwhelming to me that I was just like, "Damn!" Yeah. If you notice, I spent a lot of time just like looking at the whole. Yeah, crowd. I see. Like, yeah, I watch you. You was just taking crazy. it all in. Yeah, you was taking it all <laughs> in. But these last couple shows, you've been on point though. I see you getting your pep in your step. You finding your 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 yes, your rhythm. Shit, I mean, it's, it's, it took about what about it took about five shows. Yeah, yeah, it's about five. About okay, five dude, six. you really? Yeah. <laughs> like I had to, I had to come to the realization that. Dude, you really on this stage yet? You yeah. really got to perform in front of these people. Yeah. And me, it was just like, man, wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Look at all these damn people. Yeah, yeah. Man. Hey, but you know, we back up and at it in uh, 2022, brother. You know what I'm saying? We we moving. You know what I'm saying? We got yeah. a lot of shit on the board. So I look yeah. forward to being back out there with you, man, watching you do your thing, you know? Man, if man, hey, if, if I can get up. I mean, yeah. look, and then after what's so crazy is after the performances, you know, we used to go here, go there. Yeah. They come to me and they like, man, look, we're about to go to Atherport. I'm like, Atherport? Man, I'm about to go to sleep. Man, yeah. I'm 44 years old. No, man, I'm like, Atherport. I'm, you know, I'm going to holler at y'all after tomorrow. I'm about to go to sleep, man. Exactly. So it, it's just, it was exhausting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I noticed that just, it's so weird, not even doing much on stage, it still was exhausting. Yeah. Like, once I got to my room, it was like sensory overload. It was like, yeah, yeah. A lot of people yeah. that don't do it, and I think when you get to our age, too, that's what it is. Like, I tell people, this is work because we have right. to be on. We're on from the time that we get in that arena. All of our right. different positions, we're on. You know what I'm saying? And like right. you say, it's like a sensory overload. And it's like you right. crash. Once you leave that moment, 
It's like you just it's crash. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to do nothing but go to sleep. That's <laughs> I know why, exactly that's why what I be having mean. my wife with me. Like, yeah. Dude, like, yeah, I got my wife with me because she's going to remind me that, look, we need to go. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? man. So, hey, shout out to wifey because I see her. She be holding you down. She be handling your business. You know what I'm saying? Shout yeah. out to wifey. She do her thing. Yeah. Big shout out to the wife. Yeah. Because I ain't going to lie. She, man, she gave, <clears> she, <throat> she helped me with a lot of this. She helped me with a lot of the transitioning mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, to to uh, to just this, man. Yeah, for sure. I, man, this this was a lot of this was just overwhelming, man. I, I remember uh, the day she and my 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 manager came pick me up from the work release when they came and got me, them and uh, and we all in the car. And I remember just riding away from the work release, and I'm just looking around, and I'm just like, man, I'm really out of prison. Like, that's what it really, you know, it hit me like, man, I'm really out of prison. And I hadn't um, really, really exalted it until my uncle's funeral about a month ago. I was on this, my my family got me to, uh, to say a poem that my auntie wrote at the funeral because they were like, my auntie had been in such a, you know, her mind. That was her little brother. So she was in one of those states of mind where she couldn't really, you know, muster up the strength to get up there and do it. So the, my grandmother was like, well, McKenna, we want you to be, you know, the spokesperson for the family. We want you to get up there and say the, the poem. So and say a little bit about my uncle. Man, them 21 years I did in prison all hit me Damn. at that moment. Wow. I broke down crying. Wow. That was my first time crying. Since 2001, after them people sentenced me in that in that uh, courthouse, and I think I needed that. It was like all 21 of them years came down because for the last 21 years, I had basically numbed myself to emotion because in order for me to get myself out of the situation, I had to take myself out of the situation and work on my situation as if I was an attorney and. I was my own client. So I had to just totally emotionally remove myself from everything. And in doing so, I I damn near just got desensitized in other aspects of my life. But when I got to that funeral, it's like all them 21 years just all came down. Yeah. And what? I, they had they had to almost get me off that microphone. I cried mm-hmm. like a baby up there. I couldn't even say the poem. Yeah, but you know what? You know? It's just think about it. When you circle back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast, what do we say? You know, we gotta be who we gotta be. Gotta and be then gotta once be. you removed and you're able to sit still for a second, all that shit comes and rushing all of them out. Came tumbling down. Yeah, yeah. So um, so brother, what 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 you got new now? Like what's what's Mac doing now? You working on a new album? You got right. product, what you doing? Yeah, now? so matter of fact, because and it's crazy, I'm glad you say that because mm-hmm. I done did a lot of interviews, man. I don't never plug my song. Come on, man. So I'm still <laughs> learning how to do yeah. that because I've always been kind of organic when it yeah. comes to the music. But so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this in a, a, a professional gimmicky type way. 21 Summers is out right now on all musical platforms. Um, it's the story of how I felt when I first was released from prison. And the weird thing is I recorded the song a couple weeks before my release Mm. because I was imagining what I would feel like once I was released. I I actually wrote the song while I was 
inspired watching for one of the welders at the shipyard I was working at. Okay. I was at the bottom of the ship when the mm -hmm. song came to me. So that's what 21 Summers is. It's out on all platforms. The new album will be out early 2022. Okay. It'll be out early 2022. And that's pretty much all I can say about that. We <laughs> okay. early, early can we expect uh, any reunions, Manny Fresh or any, or BG or, uh, or any, anything that's just been tucked away? Now, see, now, you know, I was trained to deflect those kind of questions. <laughs> well, I'm going to just say nothing is off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be a dope project, man. Mm -hmm. It's going to be dope. And it's going to be, people can expect a more mature, more mm -hmm. seasoned version of me. Are you back working so, with, uh, with uh, XL and uh, KL? See, that's the same way I got to answer that question. Okay. The way I just that. So I'm going to say you, that. You know I can call KL and call XL. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to have everybody sign up whatever you call that stuff yeah non-disclosure non-disclosure yeah non-disclosure they're gonna have to take an oath to the billy goat not to ever uh, say hey, it's, it's, but not i'm gonna have a couple of producers working on it okay i definitely um look forward to looking working with many of those guys okay. again and um i think i think people are really going to enjoy this project in fact it should be better than what I said should for man. That's me being modest. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be doper than everything I ever recorded before. I'm gonna just tell you that. So people you know, can look forward to that. And you know what I want to put on you and wifey's uh top, if y'all haven't thought about it too. I think Mac, I think it'll be good for you to get into some speaking engagements. You know what I'm saying? And start going around talking to kids uh and just giving your testimony. I think you gotta I think you should do a book as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and that can probably translate into a series, a movie and all of that. Cause you got a hell of a life story and testimony. So, you know, I just want to throw that out there for you too. You know what I mean? Oh man, it's a good <clears throat> idea. In fact, I've yeah. been doing speaking engagements. Okay. Um, cool. I actually did one at um one of the more um, I guess you would say one of the the bigger ones mm -hmm. I did was I spoke at this HBCU oh, in Louisiana called Diller. Yeah. I I spoke there a couple months ago. And man, it was interesting because the I was the kids were those well not kids those young adults were very engaged man they had some very uh, good questions for me after because what we did was I spoke to I think the freshman class and after we spoke we went into um we had a, a a dinner where they let like I guess the honor students and all of the the top of the classes top of the class people they were there and um. The dean, which is Dr. Kimbrough, we were all there, and, and it was there where we had a sit-down, and uh, we ate, and they asked me a lot of questions or whatnot, because these were people that were the law students that uh, were actually um, asking me the question. And they did, I was, I learned something from, I was the speaker, mm -hmm. but I learned more from listening to them nice. than actually speaking. Nice, nice. Well, they say, you know, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know what I'm saying? That's the truth. Um, that is the truth. Well, okay, my brother. Well, listen, I ain't going to keep you, Mac. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to give you your flowers, my brother. You know what I mean? We happy oh, that man, you- appreciate it. We happy that you home. You know, uh, again, we share the same fraternity. There's no limit thing. So, you know, we always going to be a brother in that. I hope to continue building with you even outside of that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, uh, indeed. You know, uh, man, I'm just glad 
you made it through, you know, and I think you got a hell of oh, a man, testimony I and I think the world should hear it. And we looking forward to your new music too, brother. Yes, sir. Oh man, I appreciate it. And, yeah. uh, and you know, I, I just want to say, man, that was humbling. And, um, mm-hmm. man, shout out to you too, because I love this platform. I Thank think you. it's good. And I've done different podcasts mm-hmm. and I would say, brother, you did a good job asking some good questions. I appreciate and, that. And, Thank you, brother. And and Thank I think it, I think it's gonna get even bigger. Thank you. I, I think appreciate it's gonna get that. Even bigger, I appreciate brother. you. And you know what? When you come, when you when uh probably maybe at the end of first quarter, when you get everything going with the album and you got your visuals and shit out, come on back. This is yeah, always a home for you. Will come. I'm, this is I'm always home. Gonna come back. This is always even if home. I ain't, even if I ain't welcome, I'm gonna come knock on the come door. Come on, man. You, you always welcome. Come on, man. I know. You always I'm, welcome. No, I'm, I'm, what I meant to say is even. If if I'm not asked, don't be surprised. I just, <laughs> <was> already, <laughs> already, you know, you got the, yeah. we got the number. You hit me. Hey, you, hey, I want to come on the podcast. I got some shit I want to talk about. And you watch hear. this here. I might not even want to hit you. I might just want to <laughs> pop up. Not gonna do. But nah, I'm just, all man, good. Man, but it was good to see you, bro. Good to likewise, talk to you, brother. Likewise, brother my Ken, brother. Yes, sir. Much love. All right. Much love, yeah. Mac. I'll be hollering at you For soon. Sure. All right. Thank you, brother. For sure. All right. Salute. stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's.